1: It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn
0: Live. <laughs> Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Daniel Gallon. Okay, guys, Penn State fans, I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Daniel Gallon. It's the Blue White Breakdown podcast. We're going to talk Penn State football. Daniel's going to be with us. He he already does one with Dustin Hawkinsmith uh, out of season. He's going to be with me. Uh, we're going to tape it on Wednesdays. It'll either come out Wednesday night or Thursday, hopefully. Unless one of us is on vacation. Dave Jones is still gonna do one with me. Uh Dustin is gonna be involved, but we're gonna have plenty of Penn State content. We're not gonna forget about the Penn State fans. Daniel, I still see the guitar. I'm glad you didn't move anything around. Uh-huh. Even though Dave and I, Daniel, even though Dave and I did one yesterday, I still feel like we didn't get to about, you know, 80% of the stuff we could have talked about. Um, I know there was some transfer portal news today um but before i get to that is there anything is there anything at the top of your checklist uh you want to tell the penn state fans about what do they need to know
1: oh man i mean we're we're less than less than a week uh, away from national signing day by the time you hear this that highly regarded class of 2022 should be signed sealed and delivered uh in about a week uh depending on when you listen to this so that's something to listen to and or to watch out for and Obviously, when it comes to recruiting, a lot yeah. can change. Uh, Penn State has had this class pretty much sewn up uh, since mm-hmm. July. There's been a couple changes here and there, but yeah. um, I think they're expected to to get to the finish line with this group. But obviously, things can change. There could be a couple new additions, yeah. maybe a surprise subtraction. But I think that's the that's the main thing uh, to. To keep an eye on right now, um, and then we've got some coaching changes. The coaching carousel spinning, and then uh, obviously, I think we'll see more and more guys go into the transfer portal if that is going to happen
0: um, in, in the next couple uh, days and weeks. Okay, Daniel. Well, let's start. Then let, let's start with recruiting. And one thing I think we could get to, and you can maybe expound upon, is there's a certain running back from Pennsylvania that just received a very prestigious honor. And I was thinking, if you're a Penn State fan, and Daniel, put it, I know you're, not, you're obviously very objective, but if you were a Penn State fan, given what you saw play out this year on the field, would you be more excited about the governor? It's Nick Singleton. Do I have that right? Yes. Nick Singleton. Sorry, Penn State fans. He's the guy. He's the guy to talk to about recruiting. Would you be more excited about him coming on board, given what happened with the running running game? Or are you just more excited because it's a quarterback? It's a five star quarterback. Drew Alar from Ohio. Also, Bo Prabula. Let's not forget about him. I do not want to have egg on my face if he beats out Drew Alar down the road. Do you think the fans are more excited about one addition over the other? I mean, I think that the
1: quarterback is always where it starts. Um, I mean, Drew Aller in the 24-7 sports house rankings, he's the number three player in the nation. He's a top-ranked yeah. offensive player. Uh, it's really hard to look, overlook those five stars. Uh, obviously, Nick Singleton is rated as a five-star by a couple of different outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea of a five-star quarterback uh, for a program that obviously Trace McSorley is, is an all-time great. But coming in, he wasn't necessarily that transformative talent. He was kind of that. Yeah, he was kind of your your scrappy uh, upstart story. Whereas Drew Aller is going to come in as the five star, six foot five, 230 pounds, can make all the throws.
0: Penn State fans, uh, have heard about five stars that are six foot five, 230 pounds that are supposed to be difference makers. Just so you know, that's why I'm just wondering if they're a little bit nervous because of the Hackenberg thing that went went down in State College.
1: Yeah. And I think overall though, just kind of in some of the interactions that I've had with our subscribers uh, in terms of the recruiting things, I think that everyone makes a pretty astute point when it comes to both Aller and Singleton and kind of the rest of the class that a lot of this doesn't matter if the offensive line uh, isn't, isn't where it needs to be. Uh, They have four offensive line or offensive tackle prospects committed. Obviously that there's some guys that, um, are going to need to develop who are already on the roster. Um, but there is an element where obviously none of this matters if the offensive line isn't good. But going back to just, I think, general excitement, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Nick Singleton is is the in-state kid. Uh, when you watch his film, he makes a lot of things happen. Maybe he could be that type of running back who can make up for some offensive line deficiencies by making guys miss in the hole, getting into mm-hmm. the second level and making things happen. But I think just in terms of what this... Program has kind of had what people have wanted. I think it's really, really hard to to overlook excitement for the
0: quarterback. Now, what was the award? Is he, it was Singleton the Gatorade National Player of the Year or the Gatorade Player of the Year in Pennsylvania. So he's the the Gatorade Pennsylvania
1: Player of the Year, yeah. but he's one of three finalists uh, for the National Player of the Year, along with uh, Cade Klubnick or Klubnik, who's a quarterback from Texas. He's gone to Clemson. Um, and then a wide receiver from California who's committed, committed to Oregon. So, and those guys are also five-star recruits. So he's in good company. Obviously there's a lot that goes into these, these awards, like Drew Aller, wasn't the Ohio state, uh, player of the year, which I saw some, some people raising their eyebrows about that, but I think it's a really cool honor for, for Nick Singleton and a guy who's really raised his stock a ton this year and been a lot of fun to follow and a lot of fun to watch. Yep.
0: Uh, Daniel, speaking of Penn State quarterbacks, let's talk a little bit about the one that is still here. The veteran starter, I believe he was in Las Vegas on Tuesday. I believe Tuesday, it might have been Monday, to accept a a, a scholar, an academic award. Uh, He's a very good student, Sean Clifford. And I kind of saw, this did not surprise me. I don't think it surprised you. Uh, They had like, I think, an interview session with him. He wasn't really ready to say anything about his plans for next year. Now, that didn't surprise me at all. I don't read too much into that. I just wonder, you know, I still think he's probably not coming back, but I still think he wants, I think he really, really, uh, I think he really wants to play well in the bowl game against a good Arkansas team and maybe go out on a better note than, you know, they, they, they lost in the stone at Michigan state. They couldn't beat Michigan at home. You know, he was doing well at Iowa suffered the injury came back, couldn't beat Illinois, even though he wasn't healthy. I still, I still think in the back of uh, Sean's mind, he'd really like to finish on the strongest note possible at Penn state and whatever he's going to decide. I think he's probably has his mind made up, whatever he's going to decide. I think it's coming after the bowl game.
1: Yeah. And on top of that, too, with kind of how the season ended, he couldn't even finish his senior day game uh, against Rutgers, yeah. which they won. But he, oh. he didn't even make it through that game because of the the flu or maybe something else. Um, he got took some hard hits in that game uh, early. So, yeah, I mean, I think that he's someone where I think that all the things I had heard about him uh, in terms of his personality, kind of how, you know, the, the fiery, the kind of hard nose yeah. thing. I mean, I think all that's pretty much held true. And I think that it is something that he, that he, I mean, he's a quarterback. These guys are very aware of what that means, especially in a program like this, where I think that he wants to go out on a strong note. He wants, if this is the last time uh, to be remembered for going down to Tampa, having this great performance in the bowl game, instead of the snow getting sick, these losses, the the Iowa game, but yeah, I mean, I think the the timeline for all this stuff is really interesting. James Franklin is kind of he keeps pushing it off. He says it's going to be the kids' decisions. The announcements are going to come, um, and it does kind of feel like it's setting up for there's going to be a whole bunch at once, maybe, of who's who's playing in the bowl game, who isn't, who's right. leaving. Who isn't? Who's taking advantage of extra eligibility? Who isn't? There's just a lot of questions uh, that are kind of hanging over yeah. this, but I think Clifford's decision is interesting. Um, and I think that what he decides to do kind of sets in motion
0: what Penn State has to do at quarterback this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, Daniel, I think it's, if, if there's some kids and I'm talking about Jahan Dotson at the top of the list, if there's some kids that that don't, that want to just get ready for the NFL draft for whatever reason, whether it's Rasheed Walker, who could still, I think, easily leave, even Brandon Smith, some other players like that. Jair Brown has kind of been wavering a little bit. If they don't, if they, if they want to get onto the next phase of their life and maybe not play in the bowl game, I think the announcement comes, you know, before the bowl game, but if they're going to make, you know, there's been some there's been a history there where Penn State get, has kind of played like, uh, you know, some of their better players in the bowl game, not necessarily play them the whole game, rotated them in with somebody else. They I think they did it with Miles Sanders. They did it with some offensive linemen, some defensive linemen. And then they have the written statement, you know, on Twitter shortly after saying thank you, Penn State, Coach Franklin, my teammates. So I think if you're they're definitely not playing in the bowl game, I think it's going to be before Christmas. And if they're gonna if they're gonna make a cameo, then they're gonna wait and deliver the news right after the bowl game. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good point on on guys making cameos. And I think that a lot of these guys that are potential draft picks, they they play positions where you can kind of afford to afford to make a cameo where you yeah. can come out play a series. It's not like a quarterback um, yeah. or or even offensive line. Well, I mean Rashid Walker's an offensive lineman, but yeah. you know, you can rotate. They play positions that you can rotate guys and it's not necessarily a big deal if someone only plays a couple series or a half or something like that. And I think you kind of laid it out in a piece uh, this week where you talked about the young guys um, who are going to get the chance to to step up and I think that as much as you want to finish this season strong, and that's obviously the goal. I think this this next month is really about Kalen King, uh, Malik Mega, these younger guys, Landon Tangwall, getting that extra practice time, getting those extra reps, and and getting this game experience against an SEC team to to go in there and maybe use this as a
0: springboard. Yeah, thanks. For, I still have Volume Two coming out on Saturday, so thanks for not. <laughs> Thanks for not spoiling my my second list of, I think it's five, but I appreciate the tout on that. Uh, Daniel, let's move along. Like the transfer portal has not been, you know, no earth shattering news for Penn state yet. They've by my count, they have three guys in the transfer portal. I don't think any of the names are surprising. The most recent one is a veteran offensive lineman. That's really just disappeared the last two years. Des Holmes, a guy that could play guard or tackle is in the transfer portal now. And I think two defensive backs as well. Tyler Rudolph, I, I don't think he's been with the program for a while. He's in the portal. And Enzo Jennings, a really highly coveted kid, I think this was his second year, but we never <laughs> saw him either uh, from Michigan is in the transfer portal as well. I don't think I'm missing anyone, but I do I do get a sense, though, things could heat up pretty quickly about the transfer portal you just have to, I, I'm not sure about the timing of it. I'm not sure about how if kids are kind of on the fence, they need to meet with Franklin. I'm not sure what's going on, but this, this is going to heat up a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I think Penn state's an interesting case because when you look at the spring, no one really left. I think they only had, they had the young cornerback who left and maybe yeah. one other guy I'm, I'm blanking right now, but they, you saw the kind of these other programs where there are these, mass exoduses at the end of the spring ball and guys moving around and Penn state didn't have that, which I thought was kind of a, you know, a testament to the coaching staff, especially after a four and five season. So I think that now maybe some of those guys that, that stuck around to kind of see what their opportunities would be. Maybe those are the guys that are going to start looking elsewhere now, but I think the extra year of eligibility uh, plays into it where Des Holmes is, is going to be a 60 year guy next year. So He'll want to go somewhere where he can play that final year, mm. and I think that that's maybe where Penn State could have some movement. Is those redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, yeah. seniors guys that have maybe been oh, been leapfrogged on the depth chart by younger guys, guys that want to go somewhere to play and don't want to be backups. Because um, the way that James Franklin has really talked about this extra year of eligibility is that he's treating everyone like they're. The actual year. Like I've looked at other rosters where I think Arkansas did this where they they paused everyone's year. So I was looking at and I think I saw Traylon Burks, their wide receiver, listed as a sophomore. Um, but he's a junior. Um, right. but Penn State just kind of kept it your real year of eligibility. And Franklin, it kind of sounds like that. It's going to be case by case. Um, I think some of that has to do with roster management. Um, a lot of it has to do with, I think, kind of keeping the rhythm of the program the same. Um, but obviously we saw Tariq Castro Fields came back, Juan Brisker came back, mm-hmm. the transfers, Derek Angelo was a fifth year, it was an extra year guy. So um, I think that it, that'll be interesting to watch. And I do think you're right that it's going to heat up, um, especially between now signing day, the bowl game, that there's going to be some some shuffling going on.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I should just write it in pencil, but I feel like Dez Holmes, Old Dominion, Ricky Ronnie, you know, they're, a, a, they're still a, they're still an FBS school. There's, you know, there's some Penn State influence there already. I just wonder if maybe there would be an opening for Dez down there. I don't know. I think if Dez is going to play and he wants to play a sixth year, I don't think he wants to play at like an – I don't know that he wants to go to a lower-level school. So if you want to play right away and you want to play FBS football – I think there's going to have to be a tie-in somewhere. I'm just wondering if like Old Dominion would be someplace that Des Holmes would think about because I think Ricky Ronnie's a little bit familiar with him. I don't know why. My guess is uh, he certainly looked good in 2019 when he he was their he was their swing tackle. Like he played he was in he played a lot. They could play him at guard and Phil Trapone came in. I've, clearly he was a Matt Limegrover guy. Phil Trapone came in and I think he put a priority. On playing the younger players, and I guess there's nothing wrong with that. But they talked about Des Holmes Daniel at the start of the year, and then they stopped talking about him and stopped talking about him. You just didn't see him, and it's it's unfortunate because I think at one point he looked like a guy that could even maybe push to start. Maybe he had some health issues, but uh, I might be putting I might be spending too much time talking about Des Holmes. I just realized that, so I apologize to the Penn State fan base. This is the Blue White Breakdown.
1: Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours.
0: Uh, Let's move along, Daniel, here on the Blue White Breakdown podcast. Let's talk about where we think things stand with Anthony Poindexter, who just got, uh, I think he was just inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Tremendous safety at uh, Virginia when he played in the mid to late, I think it was late 90s, mid 90s. Two time first team All American, hurt his knee. And, you know, he was never the same at the NFL level, but. You know, a guy that he did a great job at Penn State in his one year. You know, he's a Virginia guy. There's a head coaching opening at Virginia. He's got experience as a defensive coordinator. Uh, he was a, a co-defensive coordinator at Penn State. He was a coordinator at other spots, including Purdue. You had you had to think that maybe this this induction was going to have to happen before he made maybe a decision. I think on what he was going to do. You got any? You got any? Uh, any any thoughts on on what he might do head coach if the, I would think if he's going to get offered the head coach job head coaching job that's that's going to trump any in staff promotion at Penn state.
1: Yeah. So the, the reporting that's come out, uh, from the Virginia side of things, from some Virginia beat reporters is that, Mm -hmm. uh, the Virginia athletic director flew out to Vegas this week. And that's that's where they've been meeting to, (laughs) to, to hammer out, uh, hammer out this contract, kind of get things Uh in motion. And I think the report on Monday night was that the hiring was imminent and that it could have been announced anywhere between Wednesday night, but no later than Wednesday. Uh, which is when we're recording this, so maybe by the time everyone hears this, <laughs> Anthony Poindexter will be the will be the coach at Virginia. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that it's the type of thing where when someone is getting approached for that head coaching job, especially you look at Brent Pry getting approached for somewhere that he'd already coached before and had a history. Obviously, Anthony Poindexter has a history at Virginia. Um, there's not really anything you can do. I don't yeah. really think no. No amount of money. You're not going to pay your defensive coordinator uh, ACC head coach money. Like it's that's just kind of how it shakes out. So I think that it is kind of interesting that you're losing uh, to your both of your defensive coordinators to the same conference, to two rivals within that conference. Mm -hmm. Um, It is also interesting that Virginia and Virginia Tech are changing coaches again at the same time because they also did that after the 2015 season. Uh, when Fuente and Mendenhall came yeah. in. So it's just kind of, I mean, it's the its the nature of the business. You're not going to stop Anthony Poindexter from uh, sure. going from co-defensive coordinator, safeties coach uh, down there. And for James Franklin, it's kind of unfortunate timing. I mean, I think when you look at Brent Pry leaving, obviously you want to keep continuity. Uh, James talked about it on Sunday night where he's really factoring in schematic fit because they recruited all of these guys to Brent price scheme. He wants those guys to be able to fit in whoever the new scheme is. So that's a priority for him. Obviously Anthony Poindexter was just the co-defensive coordinator. So we don't necessarily know what it might look like, but that would at least have, have kept some continuity. But I think that probably the, you wanted to wait if you're Anthony Poindexter until after this induction ceremony, after these, these festivities to kind of begin this next chapter. But that's kind of where, where all the signs are pointing. I mean, I don't think I've seen another name really, really put out there. I mean, his name was out there right after Mendenhall stepped down and his name has kind of been, been at the top the entire time. So it's been, it's kind of a, it's an interesting move. And I'm, I'd be very curious to to see how that how that works out down there in Charlottesville.
0: We're, we're you know, we're talking about Anthony Poindexter and as we record this and very likely we won't, he won't be, there's a good chance he won't be part of Penn State staff next year. But my other thing is, it's, I just, it's fascinating. Do you think it was a, a it was a lock that he was going to be promoted to be Penn State's DC? Or do you think maybe James had a couple other people on his list that he wanted to talk to that he liked as much as Anthony? It's just fascinating. You just don't know how it all is going to play out. Clearly Poindexter is really a great defensive mind and he's great uh, at a lot of things. He was a great player. That's my one. That's one question I had. And the other one was Daniel. I think uh, it just got a lot tougher for Penn state to recruit in the uh, area. They like to recruit Maryland and uh, DC and Virginia, because it's not only just Brent pry and all the contacts he has, but as Anthony Poindexter who played at Virginia. So Fascinating to see what that will look like for Penn state moving forward as well. But do you think, do you think in a perfect world of Mendenhall state at Virginia that James would have already announced that Poindexter was going to be the next uh, promote? He's going to be promoted to be the, the, you know, the full-time DC.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that Franklin definitely would have done his, his due diligence. Um, And obviously we've seen on the offensive side of the ball that, especially these past couple of years, he hasn't been afraid to go kind of outside of outside of his tree uh, to go get Kirk Sharaka to go get Mike Yersich. I think that given how the defense played last year, I think that he would probably look to see who out there can keep them uh, at, yeah. at this level, who would give them the best shot. And maybe that is Poindexter, but I don't necessarily think that, it was kind of, a I think that Poindexter, the way I phrased it, was probably the the leading internal candidate or the most logical internal candidate. But I think that Franklin has shown that he's not afraid to go outside of the program. Obviously, Poindexter was brought in from outside of the program. Um, so I think that that's something to kind of watch. And it is an interesting point about recruiting in Virginia. Now Um, I think Brent probably made a crack about it during his intro presser, where he talked about the success that he had recruiting the area at Penn state and Mm -hmm. about how it'll probably be easier to get those guys. uh, Now that he's at at Virginia (laughs) tech Uh, Anthony Poindexter, when James Franklin hired Anthony Poindexter, he talks about how uh, when they were younger assistants and uh, Poindexter was at Virginia, Franklin was at Maryland. They were both recruiting the the DMV, the Prince George's County area. They they got to know each other on the trail. Everyone wants to recruit there, but I think when you look at kind of the the history that uh, Virginia Tech and Virginia have had, obviously Virginia Tech um, under Frank Beamer did very well in the Tidewater area. Uh, UVA has has had some success in that that DMV area with PG County guys. Um, so I think that that's another another fun kind of subplot to work to watch especially given
0: that Poindexter and Pry both have familiarity there. And you don't, you dare Daniel, don't you dare forget about Ricky Ronnie and old dominion, another Virginia school. <laughs> Come I, won't, on. I won't forget about Ricky Ronnie. Let's not forget about Ricky Ronnie. So um, it is, it is pretty amazing to think that three head coaches at Virginia schools are now recruiting the same players that Penn state's trying to recruit because Penn state has had a lot of success, at least in terms of perceived four and five stars, um, in the Virginia area, uh, Etor Gross Matos, obviously Brandon Smith, uh, Trace McStory, uh, a Virginia kid, uh, Devin Ford was a very high-profile recruit. Um, uh, Ricky Slade, I think, was another Virginia kid. So, um, in terms of perception and the best player at high school talent, Penn State's been right there with anyone and getting it out of uh, that area. So, I think it's going to be a little bit harder. I know that I know that they want to be more of a national recruiting team. But if you're gonna get four and five stars or you know out of Virginia, you know, why go, why go into Texas when when they're right uh you know on your doorstep? We'll see. You know, we're just assuming Poindexter's leaving. You know that after we finished and after we talked about all this, he's gonna announce that he's gonna stay and become the next DC at Penn State. And then we're going to have to burn this podcast and do another one. But what can you do? Timing is everything in life, Daniel. So we're just going gonna to press forward. Is there any other recruiting news, anything between now and signing day you think is interesting? You said pretty much the hay is in the barn for Penn State. but And you, you hinted at some surprises. Anything that's piqued your curiosity between now and signing day with, uh, with Penn State? The number one thing to watch for me is,
1: uh, and this is, I guess, because Penn State really doesn't have much wiggle room, especially if they maybe want to save some scholarships for guys coming out of the, the transfer portal. I think one of the, from a big picture perspective is that you've seen so many changes uh, on, the, on the coaching carousel. Um, yeah. Obviously, when Lincoln Riley left, went from Oklahoma to USC. Uh, those Oklahoma kids were decommitting almost immediately. And that was a very big influx of talent back out there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a a defensive tackle named Derek Moore from Baltimore uh, who was committed to Oklahoma. And there's some reporting from 24 seven sports that Penn state uh, was eager to get back into the mix uh, with him. He was a four star from St. Francis. Um, And so I think that you kind of watch kind of how all of that levels out. Obviously, Um, a big domino is kind of the Notre Dame class, because I think that
0: Penn state was
1: that, that that's a similar type of recruit, a similar footprint. Um, but it looks like Marcus Freeman is keeping that class together. And I mean, I do think that if that class had really started to fall apart, that would have been a pretty, pretty intense feeding frenzy, um, on those kids. So I think that that's kind of the, the big picture thing to watch is kind of the, how things shake out with some of the moves that have been made. Obviously Penn state isn't super, there's a couple Florida kids in the class, but I don't think the Mario Cristobal move from Oregon to Miami will really affect much of the class. But I think that's just kind of a, I mean, there's a week, this stuff happens fast. Uh, I follow a, a reporter to Miami Herald, and he said that he was at a, a practice last night, uh, a high school practice and Mario Cristobal was there still in his suit uh, from his intro presser. So these things move fast. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, just outside of Penn state, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of moves. Um, and it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, I think.
0: Daniel, I wanted to ask you one thing before we sign off on this blue white breakdown podcast, you know, the Tampa trip is coming up for, uh, for you, myself, Joe Hermit, Penn life's ACE photographer. I know that you really enjoy the road trip experience, getting to experience new things. I could see right away from the Madison trip you uh, you definitely like to document some things and just kind of take in some of the sites. Was there one road trip you like better than most uh, that Penn State took this year, or was there? Did you, did you just kind of get a kick out of going? I I don't know how many times you've been to a lot of these places Penn State <laughs> went to, and clearly I won't ask you about Maryland because. You know, <laughs> You know, you know, Maryland quite well, but I was just curious. You've enjoyed either, uh, you know, Des Moines. I think we were in Des Moines, Iowa City for the Cedar G- Rapids. Cedar yeah. Rapids. That's it. Madison, uh, Columbus. We were on the outskirts of Columbus. I didn't know if you uh, Lansing, Detroit. I didn't know if you enjoyed <laughs> any of those experiences over the other, but how did you like traveling uh, to some of these big 10 uh, venues? I mean,
1: I didn't even make the trip to Maryland uh, because I was, I was busy that weekend. Um, Well, you didn't miss any. (laughs) um, Yeah. I mean, that would probably be near the bottom of the, of the power rankings. Uh, I'm allowed to say that as an alum. Um, No, I mean, I had already been to Ohio state and I'd spent a lot of time in Columbus. Uh, I'd been to Iowa back in 2015 when I covered Maryland Um, so those are, those are pretty as expected. Um, I love Columbus. Uh, I had a great breakfast, uh, some good breakfast tacos when I was out there. Yeah. Madison was a lot of fun just kind of being in that atmosphere. It was, I think that was the first real sporting event that I'd been to with fans in the stands that big since before the pandemic. So that was just kind of, I think the most fun for, for getting back out there. I was maybe more excited to go to work that day than I'd been ever been to go to work just because it was finally we were back in a game back in a stadium back in madison um so i think that that's kind of uh that was the one that that took it and i mean michigan state was fun uh because of the snow that was a good good little novelty i don't think I'd, I'd never covered a real snow game before all the trips were great uh the
0: big 10 atmospheres are it's all it's a lot of fun shout out to yeah. joe hermit for getting us home from uh, East Lansing to Detroit after the game in the uh, snow and ice storm, because it was kind of touch and go a little bit there for a while. And I thought he did a great job, but yeah, I I knew that you enjoyed Madison. Madison's a great spot. Any place in the big 10, I would recommend, I'd probably recommend that one. It's just uh, the fan base is unique. The atmosphere is unique. I could do without the 11 AM kickoff, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. So it, it was, it was also like on season, it was like 90 degrees at kickoff. So it, yeah, it would have been much fun. I think much more fun to enjoy the game rather than kind of cover the game the way that we did. But at least it was an exciting finish. Penn State won it part of their 5-0 and start that everyone's forgotten about, including probably us. <laughs> but, uh, hopefully there'll be some news very shortly, very shortly on Anthony Poindexter, and we can get to that. But in other words, I'll plan on seeing you next week. How's that? That sounds great to me, Bob. All right. That's it, guys. We'll talk to you soon this has been the blue white breakdown brought to you by pen live.